Well, let's pray as we begin this next session. Lord, we, we, again, we're here in the fear of God. Lord. We, we're here with respect to you, Lord, with honor to you. We're here with hearts that want to see Jesus lifted high, Lord, and made known to this nation and all nations in our generation. We, we are those who feel unable to do what you're calling us to do, and yet we are those who have faith that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and that he does still separate and empower. And Lord, that's what we're, that's what we're asking for this morning, Lord. Separate us and empower us for the faithful and fruitful preaching of your word in our generation. So we commit this next session to you, that you would use it to that end, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So number five, the anointed preacher is a bold preacher. Let's just refresh the words of Paul. He says, pray for me that utterance or words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Quite clearly, the anointed preacher is a bold preacher. The question then obviously arises, what does that mean? Because boldness can be interpreted in various ways. What does Paul mean when he says boldness? And, and thankfully, the context of the letter and the context of his life, where he was writing the letter from, helps us understand what he meant when he said that. So it's important to understand these verses in their context. It appears that, that, that Paul, he's in prison, and he was expecting to shortly be brought before a Roman consul or judge in order to defend himself in the case that had been brought against him. He was expecting to be brought before a judge. And of course the, the temptation for Paul at that moment would, would be to water down the gospel that he had been preaching. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. Now he's standing for the judge... And the temptation is going to be, you know, be as wise as a serpent. You can even, you know, justify it from Scripture. You know, dumb it down a bit. Just, just, just play your cards right. And uh, instead he says, just, just pray for me that, that, that when that moment comes, I will make the gospel known to this man. Because it's an opportunity. It's incredible. It's incredible. Pray for me that when that moment comes, the prophecy of Jesus will be fulfilled. Where he said, you will be brought before rulers and councils as a testimony to them. Pray for me, says Paul, that I will be faithful in that hour when my moment comes. Because he knew that the the possibility was, strong possibility, that he'd get executed. 
In fact, within three years, he will be executed by a Roman court for preaching the gospel. The very thing that he is feeling the threat of happen to. And yet he says, pray that I'll have boldness. You know, the, 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 the message of the gospel is offensive in, 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 in certain aspects of its message. It's offensive to the rulers of this world. Jesus Christ is king. His kingdom has been set up like a stone cut out without hands that crushes every other kingdom of this world and is being set up as an everlasting kingdom. It is offensive to the rulers of this world. And so he prays for boldness. Paul wasn't naive about the consequences of his continuing ministry in preaching the way he was used to preaching. He knew what it did. But then the gospel not only has that kind of national significance where you can offend kings and ruling authorities, but the gospel is also offensive on a personal level. Because the gospel is a message that has significance to the very inner sinful life of every human being. It's a message of, as, sin, as Paul himself describes it, sin, righteousness, and judgment. The message of the gospel demands humility from people. It demands repentance from sin from people. It commands people. It is the herald of a message from the heavenly king not asking people if they like, they can. It is a demand. Now God requires all men everywhere to repent. Oh yes. And so even the preaching of the gospel on a personal level is intimidating. And let me tell you this. Our, our generation has a huge problem in preaching boldly about sin and its consequences and God's judgment of it. We have a huge problem with that. We, we in certain sectors of particularly the charismatic non-denominational church of which I am a very happy member in that community, Yet we have this problem as you look around the world where seeker sensitivity has got to the point where we have watered down the gospel where Paul says, pray for me that I would have boldness. If you never preach on sin, you're not preaching the gospel. And that, and that, that, that doesn't make for popularity, I'm afraid. How much more when you're facing a Roman judge and this guy can take your head off? So Paul prays. Uh, so he doesn't pray. He asks for prayer. That was my previous point. That he might have boldness. He says, pray for me. I can almost hear him praying, uh, asking the, the Ephesians, pray for me that I would have that same holy boldness that I saw 25 years ago in the angelic face of a man named Stephen as I guarded the clothes of those who were stoning him a man better than me because he was bold when his day came 
And I remember that day. Pray for me that when my day comes, I'll have that same boldness. And I pray that for you. And you can pray that for me. So, I guess the point I'm trying to make is boldness isn't arrogance. A big difference. Boldness, in fact, is the opposite of arrogance. It's, it's looking away from yourself. It's, it's preaching this gospel despite its consequences to you, to your reputation, to your popularity, to your bank balance, to your way of life. Every cost that it'll cost you. It's, it's, it's preaching it despite the cost. That's what holy boldness is. Despite even your safety. And so Paul doesn't pray that his chains would be loosed. He prays that the gospel would be loosed. What a picture. Because he knew he was a man with a charge from God. And he had to be faithful to that charge. And the results were in God's hands. One of the benefits of being a Calvinist, which is theologically where I find myself, is that when I preach, I know that the results are not in my hands. The Holy Spirit is going to visit people if this word is preached faithfully. He's going to visit people of his own choosing. And nothing can stop it. It gives me great boldness in preaching, actually. So he doesn't pray, he doesn't say, pray for my freedom. He says, pray that the gospel would be freed from my lips. What an example to us. Number six, the anointed preacher is a man of truth. He's a man, she's a woman of truth. The anointed preacher is a doctrinal man, a theological man. Paul's desire was that he would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to make the mystery of the gospel known. There's a job here. There is a communication of facts here. And an explanation of the meaning of those facts. There is the revealing of a mystery that must be explained in human language. That requires knowledge. If you want to make the mystery of the gospel known, you yourself must understand the mystery of the gospel. And that takes study. It takes understanding. It takes having read the Bible over and over and over and over again. It takes discipline. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great preacher of the 20th century in Westminster Chapel in London, he said this, While preaching, I rarely refer to myself. I rarely refer to myself. Because he, he felt a great sense of the weight of his calling as a preacher to make the mystery of the gospel known. That's what he was here to communicate. And so he hid himself. He hid himself behind the word of God as he preached. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me that I may speak boldly to make this mystery known. Now my fear is that there are some people who do enter the pulpit 
without a sufficient grasp on the mystery of the gospel themselves. And so how can they possibly make it known? We, we want the Holy Spirit's power upon our preaching. That's what we here to discuss this morning. Well, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus called him, is the Spirit of truth. He is a witness to truth. He bears witness to the truth when it is spoken by a human being, a vessel of clay. We speak the truth, and he bears witness with that truth. He's not a force, he's a person who delights in the truth. So, I think it requires that that we preach the truth, that we understand the great sweep of redemptive history, we understand how the New Testament relates to the Old Testament, which is why I'm I'm so delighted for the work that Jason's been doing as you guys have preached through um, the series on the covenants of of God's single plan unfolding through space and time, that is such fruitful preaching and teaching. It's an incredible series you guys have done because that is making known the mystery of the gospel. I think it requires um, an understanding of the major doctrines of Scripture. It requires an understanding of the cross in particular, what happened at the cross And what it is that the cross accomplished. What did the atonement do? And what is the exceeding greatness of our inheritance in the saints in the light? What is that inheritance? The gospel in all its glory is indeed a mystery. In in chapter 3 of of Ephesians, so just a couple of chapters back from the same letter, Paul said this, In other ages... This mystery was not made known to the sons of men. See, even the Old Testament prophets, they didn't, they knew a Messiah was coming. There was enough revelation for them to put their faith in him and be saved. But they didn't understand the full breadth of this, of this mystery. Peter, in fact, in, in one of his letters says um, that they, they searched by the Spirit to see what manner and what time the Spirit in them was speaking. They longed to know what the Spirit was, what did this big picture look like? Okay? They didn't know, but this is what he says now. In other ages, it wasn't revealed, but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. And They wrote it down in a book called the New Testament and it is now unveiled for us. The curtain has been pulled back on this mystery. And we can know it. Listen to me, please. If you want to be a preacher of the word and you want the power of the Holy Spirit and His pleasure upon you, you are going to have to do the hard work it requires to search the scriptures and begin to understand this mystery. Because it's great. It's more than five steps to this and that. There's a whole organic story that is unfolded here. And it takes time and maturity and study and learning from others. Teachability. Discipline in his word. Reading good theological books. It requires application. 
So the anointed preacher is a teachable man. You know, we don't live in a vacuum. I've said to you, we, we, are, we stand on the shoulders of giants. God has given the gift of the teacher. And this mystery has been opened more and more and more and more over the last 2,000 years. There is progressive revelation. We don't start from scratch every generation. I mean, if we had to start from scratch every generation, the church would be nowhere. We learn from those who have gone before us. That's what the study of theology is. It's learning from those who've gone before us. Theology is important. So first, you have to be a reader of the Bible. Second, you have to be a reader of good theological books. And uh, at this point, you may have an objection, which I'm going to anticipate. You might say, Stephen, which is it? Because in one breath, you've said to us today that there are words that can be given to you that are not your own. That you can stand up and just a, a flow, a train of thought, a mysterious opening of the gospel can be given to you by the Spirit. But now on the other hand, I'm saying, no, you have to do the homework and you've got to put stuff in and learn and grow and change. And, and you may, well, does that not contradict itself? No, it doesn't. You say, which is it? It's both. Of course it's both. And often at the same time. Because the Holy Spirit uses means to achieve His ends. He will bring out what you have put in, but He will do it in, in just the right moment, in just the right words, in just the right way, in, in a new and powerful slant. You'll suddenly see a new revelation while you're preaching and you'll be able to bring that out. But you wouldn't have had that if you hadn't built the foundations in hours and hours and hours and hours of Bible reading and study. There are too many theologically immature preachers who depend on personality, who depend on oratory skills, but do not preach with Holy Spirit power because they are devoid of scriptural knowledge and theological maturity. And that has been particularly tempting. It's been a danger in the charismatic neck of the woods. It has been. Listen to me, I, I believe God is, 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 is breathing. I, I think there's a new season. I, I, I hear the wind of the Spirit blowing where we will have the full expression of the gifts and power and baptism of the Holy Spirit coming to churches who are theologically mature. Can you imagine the explosive power of that if that is what happens throughout Zimbabwe. Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. So have you done that? Have you studied to show yourself approved? I'm not necessarily talking about a formal Bible college education or a seminary education, although I, th I think those things are very good. I think in, in, in our circle, sometimes the word seminary is almost like a swear word. It's like, it's just associated with everything that's dead and spiritless. Well, it doesn't have to be. If you're not dead and you're not spiritless. Yeah, yeah. So, so we call it cemetery instead of seminary. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm just on the brink now of finishing a master's degree through one of the... the 
The top Presbyterian seminaries in the world, they're based in America. They are a cessationist, very conservative Presbyterian seminary. They like baptizing babies and they argue for it passionately. And you know what? It has been some of the most rewarding, powerful, spirit ablazing time of my life. Because I can spit out the bones. I, I know what I believe. I chose them because they're not liberal. They believe that every word in this book is true. That's the only caution I would give you. If you go to Bible college or seminary, just make sure that they're not questioning the historicity of the Gospels and all of that nonsense. Find a conservative, even if they are cessationist. Do that together with counsel, okay? Your elders must lead you. They know what you're prepared for, what you're ready for. Do that with them. I'm just giving you principles. Okay, so he said, study to show yourself approved. What's the next little phrase? He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So can you do that? Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he said, he will glorify me. So if you want to be an anointed preacher... You're going to have to be able to bring Christ out of all the scriptures. You're going to have to be like he himself was on the road to Emmaus. When he, from Moses, the prophets, and all the Psalms, he showed them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that would have been. Can you do that? Can I plonk you in Psalm 35? And you genuinely know, not by using allegorisms and allegories that are inappropriate by genuinely, by understanding redemptive history, by understanding the themes of scripture, by understanding David and what role he played within the Psalms, plead my cause O Lord, those who strive against you, can you preach from this and get legitimately to Jesus Christ you want to be anointed as a preacher, you're going to have to be able to do that, and let me tell you guys that, that's not the work of the, of the next few weeks there may be an intensive time where you have to grow in your knowledge of the Bible and in your knowledge of theology, but that's a lifetime of growth. So theology is important. Um, I'll just tell you one story before we, we move on to the last point. Many years ago, I was, uh, I was wanting to learn how to preach and... Um, I heard about an American evangelist in Cape Town named Dirk Wood, and uh, I listened to one of his tapes, and, and he said that he trained evangelists. So that piqued my attention, so I called him up, got his details, and, and he was living in, in Kenilworth near me. He relocated to plant a church in South Africa, and I said, hey, my name's Steve Johnston, and you know, I feel like I'm called to preach. He said, great, come on over. So I went over to his place, and I was expecting a little manual, a little invitation, a little coffee. Instead, he met me in the car park. And uh, he almost didn't even greet me. He said, hey, get in. And I knew this was going to be a strange experience, especially when I looked in the back seat of the car. And I saw a sign, which was as big as this pulpit, within a handle at the bottom, bright yellow, and then in, in, in large, like font size 300 um, red letters, Jesus is alive. And I, I prayed a prayer that day that I'm, I'm ashamed of. I said, Lord, 
Please don't let me be holding that sign. <laughs> sure enough, we get downtown to St. George's Mall. It's like the busiest part of Cape Town. People are there for lunch. I mean, the place is crawling with people. We get out the car, he hands me the sign. So, got my Jesus is Alive sign now. Feeling a little awkward. Walk down and he just starts preaching. I mean, he's just making a noise. He's just preaching to everyone that walks past and saying good morning in really loud American language. And I'm sort of in tow with my sign. And we get down to... We get down to the sort of main parade where there's no traffic allowed. There's just foot traffic everywhere. And it's business people. And uh, he just starts preaching. He says, this is good as, uh, he said, this is as good a place as any. And he just started preaching. And, and for a moment, I had a sort of out-of-body experience, which was quite enjoyable, actually. I lost my sort of, I was embarrassed by this whole thing. But just for a moment, I thought to myself, this is incredible. I've never seen someone do this. It's amazing. He's preaching. I just like it demystified the whole thing for me. And then I was brought straight back into my body about three minutes later when he stopped in like mid-sentence and he looked at me and he said, All right, Steve, you take it. <laughs> so that was my introduction to preaching. Anyhow, so we worked together for... Four months, I worked as a full-time evangelist with him. Every day, we were out on the streets, Hanover Park and UCT campus. And some amazing stories from that time. But um, probably the biggest thing that happened to me during that time was we were driving back one day in his little car, and he was talking as he always did. He talked a lot, and I'm just sitting listening, taking it all in. And he was bemoaning the state of some of the church in America that he goes and visits, that, of how immature it was. And he, he said to me, you know, Steve, it's pathetic. 98% of Christians, the recent poll that's just been done, 98% of, of uh, self-proclaimed born-again Christians have never even read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, not even once. Now here I was, I, was, uh, I taught at Bible college at his people, I had a massive home group, I thought I was, you know, I was now on the street, I thought I was on the cutting edge of Christianity. And I sat in his little car that day, and I was deeply convicted, because I had never read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I'd been, I'd been Christian a long time. And I, I made a vow that day, sitting in that car. I said, Lord, I said, it's pathetic. I mean, what, like climbing Mount Everest is hard. Reading Leviticus is not hard. Like, what has been my excuse? What, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I repent. I've, I've taken your word lightly. And I, I am going to read your, your word from cover to cover now for the rest of my life. And um, as God has given me grace, I've done that. And I've read the Bible many, 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 many times now. And it requires daily discipline. I started off by reading seven chapters a day. You'll get through the Bible twice a year. I did it a little quicker than that in the very beginning because I was, I was younger, had a bit more time on my hands as a student, etc. And I kept that up for a long time. And as you read from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over and over again. It takes time, but you begin to see how things hang together. You begin, it begins to imprint itself in your memory. The story begins to make sense. Not the first, not the second, not the tenth time. And we grow in this. So may I leave that with you as a challenge as we leave this point of, of, of the anointed preacher is a doctrinal man. He's a man who preaches truth. 
Get to know God's word. And then learn from others. Number seven, we close with this. Uh, the anointed preacher is a clear preacher. It's clear. One of the great discussions that we had this morning was how do we, how do we take doctrinal teaching and make it effective at every level of a church's population, whether it's, whether it's children, so they have, by their age, they have a limitation of what they can understand. How do we communicate to them in such a way that they understand the mystery of the gospel? Or whether it's where English is a second language to people, how do we speak at such a level that it's, it's made known? It's clear. Part of the gospel is communication of truth. Yes, there is a spiritual aspect to it, the Holy Spirit taking it from the mind to the heart and, and regenerating and, and sanctifying and all of that. There's a spiritual work, but the Holy Spirit uses means to achieve His ends. He, he works through the communication of truth. And if people don't understand what you're saying, it's, it's meaningless. And this is the final point I want to make from Paul's prayer. He says, pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, that I might make known the mystery of the gospel. In order to make the message known, you have to know your audience. You have to know what they can bear and what they cannot. You have to know what language they will understand and what they don't. You have to keep in mind the people that you're preaching to. It seems like an awfully practical point, but if you want to be an anointed preacher, you have to make yourself clear. So speak plainly. Know your audience. Speak plainly. I hope I've, speak, uh, uh, I hope I've spoken plainly today. <laughs> and I, I trust that the Holy Spirit has identified areas for each of you things that you can go and pray about, things that you can pray with each other for, pray for each other for. And I trust that this will bear fruit in this beautiful church. Scott, why don't I invite you up? Yeah. How was that? if I have ever felt more motivated for seeing the gospel go from our church to the corners of Zimbabwe and beyond. Uh, I think God has been preparing us over a long time and there are a number of pieces of the puzzle that have been put into place over the years. And I don't know how many puzzles you've done but gets to a point that's maybe 80% complete or 90% complete and it looks really still incomplete. And then as it gets towards the last couple of pieces, it's, you can feel like this thing is almost there, but without the last couple going in, the real impact isn't known. And I think there's something about what Steve is bringing in what he's shared today that is, has the potential to be phenomenally powerful through River of Life and Disciple Nations and in various languages and various nations 
And if you're here today, I, I honestly believe that you're part of that. Uh, he said that we <clears throat> build on the lives of giants that have gone before us. And you might sit here and think, who am I to be part of this? But uh, it's really happening. And funnily enough, we need each other. I think that those who are here in their teens are a huge, incredibly significant part of this. And uh, the most moving part of today for me was <clears throat> when Steve was talking about Paul, who thinks, what must I ask these guys to pray for? And he doesn't pray for his chains to be loosed. He prays for boldness and this thing that he might have been looking back to Stephen. So people <clears throat> will see our lives. And uh, I, I want to pray that we'll be preachers, not necessarily for opportunities for preaching, but that God would make us preachers. And uh, Stephen was that. Boy, was he. And uh, <clears throat> it's one of the reasons I called my son Stephen. And one day uh, he wrote in, in his Bible on the top of Acts chapter 7, I think it is. You know, he'd read the whole of the story and he just wrote at the top, good. And he said he'd seen me write notes in my Bible, so he was trying to write something deep, and he just wrote, good. And he thought, well, I don't have much more than that. But uh, it's something very powerful when, like Stephen, we have the Word of God in our hearts, and it comes out of our mouths in great power because of an integrity of life. It's a Stephen's story. And then there's opposition and it just turns you on fire. And his, the scripture says he, his face beamed. So uh, I just want to pray. I'd love Steve to pray impartation for us. Uh, his point about scripture, reading scripture. Um, I, I testify the same. This is probably my most treasured possession after my, my Prado. Uh, which you know that I all treasure so much uh, and my Swarovski binoculars but uh, this this is a piece of paper that goes from January to December and reads through the Bible every year with Psalms and Proverbs and New Testament twice and my kids have drawn pictures on the top of it sometimes bored during my prayer times I tried to make them lively for my family but uh, and every year I just rub out the tick marks and sometimes I've missed some days and I was like, oh wow, I missed the 4th of March two years in a row. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is a framework and uh, I'll definitely make this available um, and try to get it so we can start April the 1st and then another one that's, so whenever you want to jump in. But I think that's a very practical thing to take away. Uh, but Steve, I'd love you to pray for us as preachers that um, we would uh, be ambassadors and uh, that you'd pray into that holiness stuff, that we would live this 
and uh, anything else that you'd want to pray for us. Okay. Right. Could I ask you, if you feel like you are called as a preacher, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, just before you do that, let me say this. If you don't stand, that doesn't mean you're not called as a preacher, and it doesn't mean you lose your opportunity, you sort of give up your opportunity. No, maybe it's just an expression of humility. Maybe it's just saying, Lord, I just want to wait on you. Let your will be done. That's fine. But if you are convinced that you've been called as a preacher, I'd like you to stand. Heavenly Father, what a, an amazing privilege for us to stand in your presence, in the presence of the Spirit, who we so long to anoint us, to separate us. What an amazing privilege, Lord, to look out onto these men and women who've, who've stood, who want to be prayed for, who feel your call upon their lives, to, to set their hand to the plow of ministry, Lord, and not to look back. And God, I want to pray for them here this morning. Oh God, I pray you would set your hand upon them, Lord. I wonder if you guys would, would you come up here? Maybe Scott, Jack, you could help me. Maybe we can just lay hands, make sure everyone gets hands laid on them as, as we pray. from you, my God, that, that they may, in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaim your gospel to a generation that is bleeding, dying, desperate, thirsty, hungry. God, that by the lips of these men and women, you would feed your people. God, I want to pray, Lord, that you give them grace. Yes. Grace, O oh God, to live lives of holiness. God, keep them pure, God, in every aspect of their lives and take a coal from the altar of heaven, God, and touch their lips that they would speak with fire, with power, oh God, in this generation. Oh God, raise up these men and women as preachers of your word and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name. Guys, you're sitting, please to stand and just stretch your hands towards these guys. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your work 
in the hearts of these men and women standing here. We thank you so much for them. We say that we want to be a church that prays for our preachers and for our preaching. And we pray for each one of these people that they would know a new strengthening in their hearts, a new closeness with you, a new freedom in their relationships. And Lord, that you would let them experience a new openness in their preaching, that they would speak the word of God with boldness and make known your lordship in a way that people can receive and be saved and be set free. And those who've been praying for these at the front, do you want to just lift your hands up in a kind of surrender to him? Lord, I thank you for the humility in many of the lives of those who stayed sitting. I thank you so much that you're at work in their hearts and that you brought them here today and that you are at work in this church, that something phenomenal is happening. Keep your hands up, please, with those in the front, just turn around and stretch your hands towards those guys. Lord, we as preachers pray that we would be able to preach in such a way that other preachers would find your word like fire shut up in their bones, that they would be inspired, that there would be a model that instructs and uh, creates a channel in which people can run in the gifts that you've given them. We thank you, Lord, for one another in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. I'd love to just finish by praying for Steve as well. Maybe a couple of you can just gather around and we'll pray for him. Do you want to stand over here, Steve? Yeah, come forward, guys. Lord, we really thank you so much for how comprehensive, how biblical, how deep, Steve has brought truth to us today. And we thank you for what you've done in his heart and for the way that he's been able to land in Harare, in a new church, and feel such freedom. Yes. And we acknowledge the work of your spirit in him and through him. And we pray, Lord, that you would be encouraged by you, strengthened by you, that you would speak to him about the purposes and plans that you have for him in the next months and years. That you would bless his family and the leadership teams that he's part of, church on Main as a whole, and the family of churches that he's with. We thank you for him and receive him. this church to respond to what you have to do. Jesus, thanks for the power of your preaching. I pray 
Thank you, Lord, for every challenge that Steve has brought today, every inspiration and encouragement, and pray that you would cause the things that you want each of us to retain and swing into action, that you would cause those things to bear fruit in this When you think about the Apostle Paul, hours of Silence, darkness, dankness, imprisonment, and the vibrancy of your life in him. And pray that these things that we've heard today would, would not be lost, but that they would find a deep place in our hearts and bear fruit into eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. Jace, anything you would like to say? Cool. Well, guys, thanks a lot. Um...